Pet Chat and we've got Dr. Bob joining us today and Cheryl Shaw. Welcome. Thank you. So good to have you both back. It's lovely to be back. We're looking at uh, generalised anxiety a little later today. We are. we are talking about our animals, aren't we? We are, but it's okay. I, I, I think we'll be able to get through it. As long as I don't have a panic attack, I'll be okay. But we'll try and talk to it a bit, bit later. But yeah, You're getting worry. more anxious Not by me. the minute no, thinking no, no, about no, it. No, no. <laughs> and Cheryl, we're about to have a chat to a very interesting lady who's just taken away quite a prestigious award. Well, our next guest is Wendy Wooters. And Wendy has won um, a competition that is against all other groomers in Australia. And she's become the Royal Supreme Groomer Champion for Australia. We've all heard of that film Best in Show, but this time the Best in Show is actually a groomer, Wendy Wooters. Are you there, Wendy? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, congratulations, Wendy, on a superb effort. You certainly are a very talented person, being able to uh, transform a pet dog into Best in Show. So what does this um, title that you've now got mean to you? Oh, it's a fantastic um, thing to win. I think it's the highest accolade we have in our country to date. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge amount of pride that comes with it. Yes, absolutely. And I believe there's, um, there's trophies, there's ribbons, there's all sorts of things as well as uh, $2,000, which is really good that it's come your way. Oh, look, you know, that's, that's, a, that's the big bonus that comes with that title. Um, you know, it's just the acknowledgement too that, you know, um, to win this, uh, it, it's a great great achievement for your career. Yes, it is. Wendy, you're a very talented groomer. What goes into the preparation for getting your competition dogs ready? You know, are they borrowed dogs or do you own these dogs? No, I don't own them. They're borrowed dogs. Um, so a lot of, there's a bit of stress involved at the beginning trying to source dogs that you can use that the owners will make available to you at that time because you have their dogs, their beloved pets for a couple of days. Yes. And a lot of people aren't prepared to part with their dogs for this amount of time. Um, so it takes a bit of thinking. There's, it, it, you know, you're six months prior to the competition, you're trying to source dogs that not only have the right temperament, because these dogs have got to stand for two hours on a table, um, so you can't take a nervous dog in with you. The dog's got to be a fairly confident one. Yes. It's also got to have the correct type of coat. Uh, for the grooming that you want to achieve, especially with the hand strip breeds. Yes, because um, you, do, you do quite a lot of hand stripping, don't you? It's, it's a very um, unusual technique to use. Yeah, it's a bit old school. Um, you know, a lot of people have forgot the art of hand stripping. What is hand uh, stripping for everyone like me going, what, what is that exactly? Oh, it's where, the, it's, a hard, it's where the coat is plucked out by hand rather than cut with clippers or scissors. Oh. And the effect that you get is so much better for the terriers especially because the coat grows back really hard and has lots of colour to it. Yeah, um, and wow. done, so, done well. It's an absolute credit. It's beautiful to watch you do that, Wendy. Do you have a favourite breed of dog to groom? Oh, <laughs> well, after this weekend's competition, I'm going to say the Bedlington Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Bedlington Terrier was very kind to you, giving you he that wonderful a- title. Yeah, and that that dog, in particular dog came from Tasmania, and he was over here for a stud use, and I know the lady who was going to use him, and I said, oh, do you think you could borrow this dog for a competition? Well, he's and, certainly uh, he certainly had a good time being in Australia, yeah. hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, so, so the lady in Tasmania was kind enough to say, yep, we'll, we won't cut his hair for a few months, and you can have him over then, so... He came over for, for other reasons, but also to help me. Yeah, no, that's really wonderful. Um, what, what do you enjoy about the competing side of grooming? Oh, look, it's, it's really great to be able to showcase your skills. 
Um, also, I think the camaraderie between groomers is really good. Yes. Uh, it's you know, there's there's very few uh, fields where that people get on so well. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, of anxiety there, which some groomers show more than others. Um, but I think it's just showcasing what you can do. Um, I work in a very small working environment, so other than my clients, no one gets to see what I do. Oh, well, you've, um, certainly, you've certainly this time been able to showcase it to all of Australia and also to your, um, your grooming friends as well. Uh, as far as the anxiety, Wendy, I think you probably have to come up and see our Dr Bob. He's going to be talking about anxiety today. He might be able to take some of those nerves away for you. <laughs> People say, oh, how do you get nervous? You don't get nervous, surely. You've been grooming too long. You've been competing too long. But it's still there. Yeah. How you long know, have I- you been grooming for? Um, about 25 years. Wow, okay. So you know everything there is to know about grooming. Look, you never stop learning. That's the key thing with grooming. You really never stop. You always, you always have the open mind to learn something and you will. Have you got a record as to how quickly you can groom a dog? (laughs) Have you ever timed yourself? (laughs) <laughs> no. Um, look, the way I run with my competition grooming is I try and have the shape cut in by the salad, by the toilet break. If I can't have the shape cut in by then, I'm running behind. So, so try and have the whole shape cut in, and then after the toilet break, which is half time, then finish it off. Like get it, get this look better. You know, do little corrections so you get it as perfect as you can. Well, you certainly have got all of the balance, the symmetry, the smoothness, the finish, um, finish and everything executed well in your grooming. And, Wendy, I would take this opportunity to really congratulate you. You deserve your win. Um, you deserve your title, and it's a credit to your outstanding ability. And I'm really pleased that you were able to speak with us today because it does give people an idea that if they've got a lovely dog, they should see their groomer about maybe entering their dog in a competition and offering their dog to them. Yeah, look, it's, I mean, us groomers, we love our dogs. We love the dogs with our clients. We look after them, you know, when we have them in our care. A lot of there are still people that are they drop their dog off for grooming and they say, "Oh, is it going to be here that long?" And you, you, they don't trust, you know, your ability to look after their animal. But you know, like that's what we're there for too. Oh, that's wonderful, um, Wendy. It's really nice to hear you say nice things like that. Thank you so much for joining us today, and um, I'll be in touch. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Cheryl, it's so interesting to hear you both talk about something you're so passionate about. You were showing me a photo before of your babies. Now, yes. you've got four poodles. That's right. Um, one had purple, one had pink hair, and the other two, they were just sort of brown, weren't they? Well, they're to... apricot poodles. We, we only um, chalk up our coloured um, girls that are white, so we give them a little bit of a difference. It's just beautiful. And you've got your poodle brooch on today, which I yes. love. You've always got a piece of jewellery to represent the poodles. Yes. Do you get some pretty cool looks when you're walking uh, the babes, like when you're oh, walking absolutely. your poodles? They, they really do draw a lot of conversation. So people come up and, you know, people always go, oh, you know, you've got four. So I am indulged and, um, yes. <laughs> hey, do you love them? I Good do. On you. I do love them. Do you ever get blokes saying, can I borrow them? Because, you know, dogs are what they say, chick magnets. So yes. four poodles would no doubt really get the ladies swooning. My daughter has a friend who borrows them regularly. <gasps> Oh, that's a classic. That is classic. It is Pet Chat today. We would love to hear from you. 49216216. We'll be taking your calls. Before we do, and while we wait to get a call on, you can be the first. I do have a question for you, Dr. Bob. Now, this isn't for me, but I did promise uh, Charlie, who makes my coffee every morning, that I'd ask this question on behalf of him. He asked me what I was doing today, and I said Pet Chat, and he said, oh, I've got a question about my cat. 
Now, the cat is 17 years old, so the cat's quite old, um, has been in pretty good health, still eating, although he said the last week she has gone off her food a touch. But she's definitely said that uh, she's now meowing constantly. She goes to the door and she meows and meows and meows, and it's driving his neighbours and his family batty. So, Most likely going to be dementia. At that age, the brain is, is only two-thirds the size that it was when they were younger. And at 17, that's pretty good innings. So going deaf as well, they can't modulate the sound that they make. Um, they get disorientated. They get lost. They often have house-soiling issues uh, at that age as well. And as they get getting a little bit older, it's good to take them in for a good veterinary checkup, good exam to make sure that if there is something that's just on the threshold that we can treat or manage that, put them on a good senior diet food and treat any pain that they might be in because often at that age we don't realise that they are in pain, arthritis. Yeah, absolutely. So really there's nothing you can do specifically for the meowing. It's just making sure that the cat is, you know, not feeling, as you said, any pain and is, you know, knowing when the time's right, I guess. is Same for all of us, just consistent routines, interaction. Often as they get older, they don't interact as much, but you still have to maintain relationship. So the same with elderly parents. You've got to spend that time. You've got to make sure that they're... um, content where they are and music as um I think Todd was talking about a bit earlier. Yes, he was, yeah. It's just fascinating how much the music of their teenage years is so critically important. So if you can remember the music you played to your cat when it was younger, um, <laughs> then that may really help. So go. go back to the... Uh 17 years ago, see what was on the tops and away Top you of the go. Pops. That's uh, it. We've got Cheryl on the line from Stockton now. Your dog has a tumour. What's your question for Dr Bob? Um... He's got a tumour in his pancreas, plus he's got pancreatitis. Um, the vet told me just to feed him boiled chicken and rice. He won't eat the rice, but he eats the chicken. And I can't afford chicken all the time because I'm only on a disability pension, and I was just wondering what else I could feed him. The important thing is that he needs to have less fat. So the fat is something that really stirs up pancreatitis, which is a little gland next to the intestine that helps to digest um, sugar, fat, and other things like that. So when it gets inflamed, it not only produces the enzyme, it produces more of it. Instead of that enzyme going into the gut, it actually starts to digest itself. That then irritates the inside of the bowel and the inside of the abdomen, and it just gets more inflamed. So you need to use something that's pretty bland, that doesn't have too much fat and you need to watch very closely what the droppings are like every day. Small feeds often are much better than a large feed. And um, if there's yeah something else going on, then you need to either investigate it or if you can't afford that investigation of what might be there as well, then we may have to make a quality of life decision if the animal's starting to suffer or get in, or be in pain or not able to get around. What does that mean, put him down? Possibly, but it's always oh, consulting. Oh, I couldn't with... handle that. Yeah. I couldn't handle that. No, always consult with your He's vet. my darling. He's my darling. Yeah, so you've got to give him all of that love and care and help him to, to feel comfortable. But, um, yeah, we can do quite a lot of good things in palliative care these days if the tumour is getting bigger. And, but you've got to watch the weight loss as well. Yeah. So the tumour might be growing, but the dog's actually losing muscle mass. And as hard, hard as it is, you've ultimately got to do what's best for the dog. It is. It's a very difficult decision. But that's why, um, yeah, as vets, we're there to help you through that difficult time.
Thank goodness. Now we've got Jenny from Black Hill. Your dog must be getting a little bit dizzy, Jenny. Tell us why. I think that he is. <laughs> he actually, we got him when he was nine months old and he was um, chained up out in the backyard the whole nine months of his life. And when we first got him, he was very timid, very scared. And I've got him out of all of that. He's a beautiful little staffy. But even when you're with him, all of a sudden he'll just start going round and round, chasing his tail, and then just starts barking at it. Um, and then he's got now that he'll sort of like sit down and have a bit of a cry while he's trying to grab his tail. I just want to know whether it is anxiety or or what I can do to try and stop him. How old is he, Jenny, and is he desexed? He's desexed, and oh, he'd be probably. We've had him well oh, about five months, so he'd he'd be about fourteen months old, fifteen months old. Yeah, what it is most likely is an obsessive compulsive disorder. The more they start chasing, the more that memory track happens in the brain. If he was chained, it means he had a limited environmental experience. And so when he starts to get attention from you, which he wouldn't have most likely received during that first nine months, he just gets so aroused, so excited, it just flips over the threshold. He starts to spin. Sometimes they will spin clockwise. Sometimes they will spin counterclockwise. Sometimes they will actually bite the tail and they... They actually make it bleed, but it's sort of a, I have to do it and I keep going. But if you can, the most important thing is to interrupt as early as possible, redirect to sit, stay, drop with treats, or to go and get a toy, a ball or something, or put him on lead and take him for a bit of a walk. Don't let him practice the problem. The more he spins, the worse it gets. And we do have some animals that you will not be able to get that changed unless they go on anti-anxiety medication as well so we can manage it we can modify it but sometimes they need medication as well so staffies yeah well he had no like no hair on his tail whatsoever when we got him um i think because he was on a chain i think maybe that was his entertainment was just going you know round and round but now um yeah he's got a very very good life he because I've got multiple sclerosis, so I'm home most of the time with him. So he gets Good. a lot of attention. But I live with my young son and his partner, and I've found lately if they start fighting and raise their voice, he will bang on my bedroom door and I'll open it up and he comes in. And away. it's like he, he's terrified. He yeah. cowers down like he's done something wrong. Yeah. So, you in- know, I've just been like reassuring him and saying, it's okay, you know. Everything's good and give him a pat and I let him stay in my room for a little while until, you know, he calms down a little bit. That's good. Is that doing the right thing or should I... It is. It's calming, long, slow, uh, massage-like strokes, speaking in a calm, controlled teacher voice, hugging him next to you, pointing the teeth and claws away from you and that long stroke or sit, stay, drop with treats. Put a radio on to mask the... um, a family discussion is the best way I've got of describing that. Um, and just help him to know, as you said, it's not his fault. It's okay. Let's focus on something else. But these are the triggers, as you said, the excitement of you giving him attention, the distress of a family discussion. All of these flip him over his self-control threshold. And so he starts to do the spinning. So we need to give him a replacement uh, behavior to do instead of being silly. 
We're taking your calls, 49216216. Sounds like a little bit of anxiety there. And speaking of, we're looking at generalised anxiety today, Dr. Bob. That's right. And when we say generalised, what we mean is that it starts off like that little dog. It may have been just confined or on the chain all the time. And it then starts to develop and it might be something else that flips it over the threshold. So it's not just a family discussion. It's a noise or it's the squeak of a chair on the floor that may indicate there's something else going to happen. So then they start to get more aware of the environment. They become hypervigilant. They're looking around. They're checking doors. They're constantly, ears are flicking. They're not able to sit still. They start to move around. The more they move, the more stressed they get, the less worried they, the, the more worried they become. And so the whole thing just starts to escalate. And sometimes they even start barking and carrying on and, and talking faster. But mostly what we try and do... <laughs> Is uh, that's right? <laughs> is to ask them to follow what we're doing, and that we breathe in slowly and out slowly. The more calm our body language is, the more calm our body chemistry is. It helps them to calm down. They need a bunker, refuge type area where they can retreat to and feel comfortable. If that's under the table or next to the lounge, whatever, that's fine. And we're asking them as soon as they start to show these signs of anxiety, like blinking or um, yawning or licking the lips or treadling with their feet um, or the tail tucked underneath or little bits of trembling. Once you see all those things happening, then you're actually saying, okay, what's happening? And you look around to try and find the trigger. And you might be able to see it, you might not. So in storms, they can pick it up, their incredible sense of smell and hearing. They're so aware of the environment. So they start to get a bit stressed. But you, if you can, interrupt early. Don't let them get uh, as panicked. To that point. Because the more they panic, the more it just gets on a roller coaster and all the adrenaline, the cortisone rushes out. And the animal just is, yeah, in a total state of, of uncertainty. It's so interesting you say that. And, and they are so susceptible to anxiety, aren't they? We don't realise how much, you know, dogs and, and cats can suffer from it. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago my Maltese was acting very anxious around dinner time, and it wasn't an excitable anxious. It was just anxious. Um, I figured out what – I think I figured out what the <laughs> cause is, and this will give you some insight into my cooking. He's freaking out every time I turn on the stove fan because what's happening is I turn that on and then usually within minutes uh, the smoke detectors are going off. (laughs) So I think he's anticipating the smoke detector, that noise that hurt, you know, drives him insane. I think that's what it is. He's probably got um, speed dial for, you know, the fire engines. (laughs) I would not be surprised. Dr. Bob and Cheryl Shaw are here. They can help with any questions you may have. Before we do that, yeah, Dr. Bob's going, no, can't, I can't. That's not true at all. There's nothing you don't know. I will make it up based on 35 years of experience as a vet and 18 years of training and and parenting for children. And yes, so I won't actually make it up. It'll be based on wisdom and experience. That parenting of four children also comes into play when you're dog training. It is. It's very important because you're applying reasonable boundaries. It's it's leadership, mutual respect. You're respecting them, asking them to respect you, setting reasonable places, keeping their brain and body busy. It's yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I treat Max and Gizmo exactly the same. That's why I've named them both <laughs> dog names. So you know, there's no confusion there. So which nappy? I mean, which one do you put the nappy on? <laughs> Hang on, is it Max? Yeah, yeah Max well gets done. the nappy. That's, That's right. Good. Yeah, and the not two-legged only that. Variety. You've actually had some photographs taken and your dog's included. So how oh, wonderful is that? Yes, we do. We we are one of those 
families that, um, you know, Gizmo The Christmas was, photo with the... Oh, absolutely. And he's always got the antlers on and, you know, <laughs> I'm one of those people. I mean, Gizmo was my first son. I found him in Dubbo in a little market, so I love him. And, um, yeah. How old is he now? He's 10. Yeah. So they is he on a become... senior diet? <laughs> yes, he is. We we buy the, the senior bickies. Good. I am still naughty and give him wet food. You're not meant to, are you? That's but okay, as long as it's chicken necks yeah. and he gets you know, he gets stuff to look after yep. his teeth. But And the charcoal. <laughs> and the charcoal from my cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens on a regular basis. <laughs> Helps his irritable bowel syndrome. It's really good. Well, that's right. You know, that, that's that's the positive. Look, we are taking your calls, 49216216. But we're talking about how much uh, love you get from a, from an animal. We're just discussing men. I do have a pet of the week. So if someone is in the market for a dog, I hope your ears are pricking up because this could be for you. Now, we've got Bentley. He's a two-year-old cattle cross. Uh, if you particularly like exercising and jogging and you need a partner, he's probably your man. Uh, he's very playful. He loves toys and he also loves car rides. And we we're talking before about how beneficial that is when the dogs love jumping into the back of the car and, you know, you can take him down to the beach, you can take him for a walk to the park. It, it does help. Uh, he knows the basic training so he can sit, uh, shake. I'm guessing that's shake. Pause. That's hands. right. Yeah, rather than just shake on your And he has really good uh, recall. He loves daily walks. He would make a great jogging partner. And he's good with other dogs, but he's probably more driven by humans. So, you know, if he's an only dog, but he's got a human that's around him a lot and loves him, that's all he really needs. He loves cuddles, kisses, and just being with people. So if you are interested, then please get in touch with Dog Rescue Newcastle. Their website is dogrescuenewcastle.com.au. And of course, They've got a variety of animals on there. So check out all the dogs that they've got there and see if there's one that might suit you. Because a lot of them can get anxiety, I guess, as well, Dr. Bob, which we were talking about before. Just when... living in the either the shelter environment or in foster care or yeah. changing foster carers. Everybody, every animal has a different coping threshold. So some of them are able to cope with those new situations. Other ones, you know, withdraw inside themselves and... They express that anxiety or frustration either through anxiety and trembling and shaking and and diarrhoea or being more aggressive or, as we had with the staffie before, because it was isolated on the chain for the first nine months of life when you're supposed to be learning all about different things and and socialisation and what the world's all about, they can sometimes develop obsessive behaviour. So it is learned. It can be learned there is a genetic predisposition to have those sorts of things, that that's the way your genes are more likely to um, push you in that direction. But it is also that we can do lots of wonderful things with our animals and teach them to be really helpful and good and, and, and happy, but they do pick up and are very sensitive to what's happening in the family. So if the family's um, distressed, as one of the other callers mentioned this morning, family discussions, they either withdraw or they will go in between those two people and try and help to settle the discussion. So being very aware of that and and just not letting things go too far. Mm. So the more we give them other things to do, so go and get the ball, go and get the teddy, and yeah, go and get the car keys. Let's go for a drive. Sometimes the dog will bring the car keys over to you when it says, right, that's enough. Watching television, get out into the wide open world. Yeah, perfect. So we've heard about how you can kind of manage it. Can you reverse it completely, the anxiety, or is it something that you constantly have to manage once 
and a dog has anxiety. Same as in people, um, mental health is tidal. So it comes and it goes. So anxiety, once you've had it, or depression in people, you are more likely to experience that later in life, partly because your brain has remembered that and has a memory track that it then slips into. But once you do get that diagnosed and looked at and you know how to manage it, then you can often preempt it developing into a more serious problem. So you try and change it, you modify your lifestyle. As I say to my four kids, yeah, once I work out a, a really good work-life leisure balance, I'll let them know. <laughs> um, but <laughs> we each have to decide and work on that. Absolutely. Let's have a quick look at the weather. It's thanks to our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group, Maitland for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen and Isuzu Ute. Remaining sunny this afternoon, just beautiful. Tomorrow it's going to be another sunny day, probably not quite as hot, 23 degrees, and then a little bit of rain expected on Friday. We're going to go to Judy from Chisholm. Judy, you've got a question about puppy training. Yeah, yeah, I've got a three-month-old um, lab. Yep. Yeah, we had to put our other one down. That's sad. And, yeah, I don't know what starts crying now. Um, Sorry. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and I want to put him into training because he's just mischievous at the moment. Really important to get him to puppy preschool? Or yeah, he's three get... months now. Good, and make sure he's had all his vaccinations and Yeah, he's had that. He gets the next lot tomorrow. Great. The more you get him out and see other things, but at a reasonable rate, don't push him too far too quick. Important for you to be there so that he knows to go to you. He sees something he's uncertain about and then looks to you for what you're asking him to do. And you're just asking him to come over, sit, stay, drop, be good and help him to actually, um, yeah, not to be able to deal with what's going on. Yeah, well, he sits all right and he's days when I tell him to. Sometimes Good. he doesn't, especially because I live on a property and there's birds around. He Pretty excited. chase the birds. Yeah, don't let him practice that. I'm going to stop him, I know, but he, he sees something moving, he's got to chase it. Yeah. yeah. So make sure that you get him out there and get him um, socialised with other animals, but do it slowly and don't push him too far too quickly. And it's good that he's young because you can actually teach him. Yep, yeah, much more teachable and able to learn at that age. Absolutely. Look, that's just about all we've got time for today. It's gone quickly as always. Thank you both for coming in, Dr. Bob, Cheryl Shaw. Always a pleasure. Thank and you. you'll be back. Next week, Cheryl? Yes, next week. And Dr. Bob, who knows? You'll be back when you're back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about that. <laughs>